So now what I often find is that people don't really know what their future workforce looks like. And I can, I try to convince them that data is the base of everything. So understanding your future workforce in terms of data is critical. That, that is where you start. Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organizations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions, and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts, and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I have uh, Anita Letink on the show. Uh, good morning to you, Anita. Good morning, and good morning to the audience. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, good to see you. Good to catch up with you. Uh, you are a partner at Strategic Management Center yeah. and the founder of HR Tech Radar. And uh, you've been a, a leading authority on the future of work and pay, uh, HR transformation and outsourcing for over 20 years. Uh, you've worked with largest global organizations to reimagine the way work gets done, uh, future-proof their people function and services, and ensure they are supported by latest innovation and technologies. And funnily enough, we'll be talking about the future of work, although a very big topic, we're going to mm-hmm. narrow it down to look at the whole demographics, generational things that's going on at the moment and trying to let's get our thinking out sort of five years, 10 years time as well. But before we get into that conversation, Anita, I'd love to ask, what do you love about what you do? So originally, I am an educator. And when I give presentations, the thing that I love most is when I see the lights go on in the eyes of the audience. Because Often when I talk about um, the future of work, I talk about difficult concepts. I I talk about new developments. And I also talk about emerging technologies. And I enjoy it when people suddenly start to make the connections between, oh, we knew it was difficult and, oh, we saw that trend, but we didn't know or we didn't understand fully what that meant or what that could mean for us. Right. So if, if I can help someone understand um, and, and change what they're doing in their companies, that is enormously satisfying. And that sounds very satisfying, giving those people uh, not only the insight, wisdom, but to get to that place where they get mm-hmm. that light bulb moment and go, yes, I get it. Exactly. I it. It's, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, I'm not a I'm not a teacher. I'm not an education in that sense, but I. I know within a coaching context, we get those aha moments in sessions, not always. Uh, and it's nice when some of, the, some of the penny drops or the mindset shifts and it's go bang and it's like, we get it, I'm, I'm on it. And it's it's quite a nice feeling to be part of that facilitation of that process um, and the energy that that gives you. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, we're hoping today to give people some light bulb moments and some insights that will um, perhaps challenge where they are right now, but hopefully give them some steps that will help them navigate through some of the perhaps the difficulties are in the concept of the future of work and we are looking at the you know we know that i suppose we've got an aging population we've got you know increased more sort of female participation in the workforce and increased diversity and 
I'd just like to get your thoughts on that whole the whole sort of I suppose demographic generational uh, dynamics that are going on. You know, what is that, and 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 <laughs> and and how? Just I guess frame people of what that means and so and and we can go from there in terms of how we navigate that within an organization yeah sure so when i talk about the future of work i often challenge people to think about their workforce two three to five years from now and the reason for that is that every decision you make today will probably affect your future workforce much more than your current Workforce. As an example, when you buy a new HR solution, first of all, you need to select it, then you need to contract it, then you need to implement it. So before you actually use it, there's easily six to 12 months down the road. Um, So that's why you need to think about your future workforce. Now, what I often find is that people don't really know what their future workforce looks like. And I can, I try to convince them that data is the base of everything. So understanding your future workforce in terms of data is critical. That, that is where you start. And um, given the current circumstances in the world with regards to population, demographics is, or demographics can actually make or break your company. And what I mean by that is in many countries in Europe, the population is or is uh, is still growing, but the actual number of people in the workforce is declining. And that is because more people leave the workforce than enter it. And that has to do with an aging population. So there you need to understand if the services that you want to provide in future, if you actually have the people available to do that. And if you don't, then where or how can you get them? And then you also, I mean, demographics is one, um, but then of course the lack of the right skill sets is the second one. If you don't understand what your workforce will look like or where your future workers will come from, that can be detrimental to your business and to the success of your strategies. So that is why demographics plays um, or plays such a large role when thinking about the future of work. And, and we know there there is a, a current sort of, I suppose they call it a war on talent, a sense of trying to get good skills and mm-hmm. the right talent in the, in the moment. And we know there's this dynamic of what we call the baby booners who are leaving the workforce. Yes. Um, and you've got a slowing as a birth rate in, in sort of a lot of countries. Yeah. And so you haven't got this fuel of more people coming through uh, and, and you start to create this gap. So how do we manage? Well, before we manage that, yeah, before we get into that, when we have – different generations and working in an organizations mm-hmm. i just want to get your thoughts on that because obviously we've got the the gen z's coming coming to sort of into the workforce now and you've got the the baby boomers at the other end um all different experiences all different ways of working different thinking different mindsets and it'd be nice to understand how we could perhaps help organizations 
mit, um, navigates having those different generations in? Because I think it's good to have those different generations in a workforce. Yeah, but I'm going to answer that question a little bit different from what you think. Okay. Because I do not believe in generations. I think it's a construct to pe put people in boxes, but there is no scientific evidence to support generations in the, work uh, in the workplace. In fact, it's the opposite. Um, generations do not really exist other than in publications and in, in marketing, and people find it really comforting to, to use them and to attribute uh, attribute certain characteristics to generations, right? But the thing is, young people entering the workforce have always had different ideas of how work needs to be done or what their expectations are from work simply because they grow up in different uh, times and the educational system that they are in changes uh, over, uh, over the years. Um, and collectively, they have different ideas. So I find it much more interesting to think about options because when you, when you really think this through, uh, I'll give you the example of, uh, of life events, right? Having a baby with your partner, with your family changes your life. It puts it upside down for a while, right? <laughs> but... Um, what you see is that people can have babies in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s. Some men even have babies in their 60s. And that is much more influential to what you want from work than the generation that you are in. So I'm always advocating for, you know, leave that construct of generations at the door because you are thinking about people and you attribute the same things to a generation. And for instance, Generation Z, that is 1.8 billion people. Do you really think that they all want the same thing? Are they all in the same circumstances? Mm -hmm. My guess would be that, you know, someone who lives in North America needs something completely different from someone who lives in South Africa or in India or anywhere else. So we really need to think much more about the personal circumstances of people. And I would advocate for hyper-personalization, not putting employees in very large groups where, you know, there are so many differences. So this is like, you know, we've created these constructs, which I just mentioned, you know, the Gen Z through the baby mm -hmm. boomers. And I guess what we do and you know it's called that you know, confirmation bias isn't it we then we put a a broad brush stroke on a type of people it can be a generation for whatever and then we look for the ways of them meeting that confirmation that bias that we've set um which I, again can not help in our thinking not helping our yeah. navigate so you talked about hyper Personalization. Personalization. What is that? I mean, I know what hyper is, and just been interesting what that is and how that can help us when we have these differences within the workplace. It means that you need to understand your people really well in the workplace, understand their needs, but don't define them for them. 
So rather than, than saying, for instance, I have two benefits packages and you can choose one or, or the other, say, look, here are my benefits and feel free to choose from the menu of benefits. Or maybe because you want to buy a house, you don't want benefits at the moment. You want it all in, uh, in a salary payment. Mm. And so I think that we need to ask people more often what they need instead of deciding for them what is good for them because we don't know their personal circumstances. And the thing, of course, is that um, outside of work, when we use our personal devices, they are starting to become very personalized. Have, for instance, I have an iPad. When I pick it up in the morning, it already shows me um, the icon for my newspaper because it knows that I read the newspaper every morning, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of me downloading the paper and, and, and clicking through those uh, menus, it has already done that in the back. And when I pick it up, the first thing I see is, do you want to open the newspaper? And so it starts to know my habits and um, responds accordingly. Mm. And so I think that we need to think much more in those terms when we look at work and how we, um, how we change the workplace. Um, and, and that is why I think hyper-personalization is what we need to become more aware of. And, and how realistic is that? Because for me, I appreciate the apps that has algorithms, has a lot of technology mm-hmm. behind it and supports and knows what you do. As human beings, um, obviously, we don't have that sort of capability in terms of monitoring mm-hmm. people. So how do we do that? And I know I appreciate technology might come into play into this. How do we do that on a... A situation in not so much in like benefits you get that example which i think is a good example of having that choices but and how we work with other types of people and interactions and different mindsets um how should we navigate that uh, as as people yeah it's, it's a really good question because as you mentioned when you start to think about about hyper personalization technology plays a role and using technology in the workplace is always, on the one hand side, it helps with productivity. And on the other hand side, it also has a big brother type of angle to it, mm-hmm. right? Where we don't want to feel like we are overruled by the machine or that the machine decides um, um, for us. What we really need to think about is how do we educate workers to work with machines, to work with AI, rather than to become, you know, the object of um, of AI. And I talk a lot with people who are responsible for learning and development about what they do in in this area, because I I was at a conference a couple months ago and I asked a question, how many of you have a program where you teach people how to work with robots, right? The benefits as well as the risks so that they are really well informed, that they can use AI when it's beneficial, but that they also know its limitations. And only a handful of people um, 
put up their hands. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the areas where we really have to think through how can we best help people to, to manage this, but also to stay on top of this and not to feel overwhelmed mm -hmm. or ruled over and, 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 and see artificial intelligence as a threat. Yeah, and it's almost it's shifting that mindset, isn't it, a little bit in terms of rather than, I suppose I look at processes, you know, when I, years ago, I used to see processes as a, some people used to see a process that was like, that, that was almost tied them up and they had to do everything mm -hmm. by the process. And I always used to flip it and go, no, the process there is to serve me. And if things have changed, because things do change, I need to change the process. I don't change me to the process that was fixed there four or five years ago. And I think it's that mindset of seeing technology rather than being scared of the the big brother. And and there is mm -hmm. obviously you got to be balanced the you know the safety and everything else clearly. Um, but actually seeing how can that serve me as opposed to me serving it, and it's having that right mindset, isn't it? And then if actually yeah. that technology at that point doesn't serve its function for me now then i need to change it update it whatever it is rather than think oh no no we've got this we've invested so much we've got to continue with this mm -hmm. that's when it becomes i think an issue doesn't it it does and one of the things that i always talk about and a question that i ask is if something happens can you explain your ai to a judge because if you can't, then you've clearly lost control of what is happening in the background. And when it comes to HR, there are certain cases where you will end up in front of a judge because your employees take you to court or the union takes, mm. you, takes you to court, right? Um, we see now that AI is being used in recruitment, for instance, to make decisions to go from long lists to um, short lists. Mm. If people feel that that has an inherent bias, if people feel discriminated against them, then they will take you to court. And so if you do not know what kind of decisions your AI is making, if you cannot retroactively look at it and say, oh, in this case, it really made the wrong decisions, or these decisions are in line with our company strategy yeah, or, or with the mm. way that we treat people, with our co company culture, um, then if you don't understand what's happening, then you have a problem. And there are currently some states, some some geographies that really put legislation around the use of AI. Now, you know, as well as I do, that legislation and technology is always, you know, that's always um, friction. And mm. typically legislation follows technology, meaning technology is being released, we are using it, and then we start to understand the consequences and then legislation arrives. I think that we're slowly, that we are slowly getting to the stage where legislation arrives to sort of put a, put a barrier around or, or a border around what is possible, what we can do, but also mm. what we cannot do. I guess it's that, it's that sort of having due diligence on 
the the AI or the technology, but also having that within an organization, the sort of the right sort of governance uh, of like anything you would have, making sure that it's abiding what you you're trying to do, what it's trying to achieve, and 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 ensuring like safety and personal well-being and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff is is in, in in within that. Just going back to the my first question, which I'm not going to ask it in, in a generational context, um, um, more from a mindset point of view, because obviously we have different people coming together and, you know, we generalization here, I'm flagging, mm-hmm. is that when you get older, you're less likely for change. And when you're younger, you're more open to change. Massive generalization, not always yep. the case. Um and often that can cause that conflict, can't it? When you want new stuff to come in and you've had people there for many years and they've always done it this way or or struggle. How do we navigate those differences? Uh, certainly when you've got the, the role of technology, you're talking and AI and, and, and some people get frightened by that. And obviously that's usually the fear that creates this stopping wanting yeah. to t- embrace it, doesn't it? Well, for one, in in all the projects that I have run in the past, but also currently run, the phrase, but we've always done it this way, is forbidden. Um, Because I think that phrase opens the door for change. Um, And, or sorry, sorry, that phrase closes the door Mm -hmm. on change, right? And to be, to remain relevant in this world that is changing so fast, you have to understand what is happening outside. You have to understand what's happening internally, and then you have to bring that together. So the status quo does not work for anyone. And often when I talk to, let's say, older people, I I bring them back. I remind them of when they joined the workplace. And if it was the case that they just joined and thought, okay, this is the way it's always been here. I'm not going to propose any changes. If you start a conversation in that way, then you quickly discover that everyone who joins a company, it does not matter how old you are, or but whenever you arrive in a new situation, you encounter certain things where you think, hmm, what is happening here? And why is this happening here? And I know a different way of doing this that could lead to a better result. Mm. Um, So I think it is probably more about how long you have been with a company and you are immersed in that culture. And so your expectations for change are a little bit lower because this is what you know, this is the status quo than it being about age because someone in their 50s or 60s could very well, and that's that's also I think why so many um, people in their 60s become coaches. They ask people questions about the status quo, really. Mm-hmm. That is what, it, what they do, right? And give them advice on different ways um, to try things or a new approach and so I think, look, we always say changes are constant, but it really is. There is no way around it. And if, and if people are listening there right now who, and again, could be young or old, um, mm-hmm. and they struggle with change, they struggle with 
the newness of things that ha- what could you what advice would you give them to help them get into more of a mindset that would embrace change that be more accepting of it and more excited about it yeah <laughs> that's really difficult because it some people thrive on change and they want every day to be different from the last and some people really thrive in a structure and they like the fact that today is like tomorrow is like today after and what i always encourage people to do is really think about your inner change person right how much change can you accept uh, how much change can you deal with and then think about how that reflects in your work life also in your in your personal life because if you are a person that does not deal well with change uh, maybe you should not work in a project or a team or in, a, in an organization that is constantly implementing new technologies and is always after the, the latest and, uh, and the greatest. Mm. This is, I have um, learned through, uh, through uh, many of the projects that I've done, a, a very personal issue. And if your personal beliefs and your work life are out of sync, it's very hard to be happy in uh, in the workplace. Mm. I don't know if that is the answer you expected. No, no. This and is I th- uh, I how I helpful. see it. And I think it's it's. Um, I think as leaders, I think leaders need to be mindful of other people's or aware of the, I suppose, the change. Yes. Uh, 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 sort of appetite, I guess, and be mindful of that in, in putting people into certain roles or. You know, when you're as a leader, you're racing ahead and realizing actually some people are quite way behind and how you manage that and get alongside people. And so I say we're all different. And I think it's not saying they're wrong and they're right. Uh, as you say, if it's if that company's not for you because of the make pace of change, then then you need to sort of look for something else. Or it's really slow and you get frustrated by absolutely sort of uh, old sort of processes that are just holding the business back from your perspective. Again, you need to find somewhere it's a bit more fast paced. Yeah, and you bring you bring up something that is that I think is really important. When you mentioned uh, leaders, I immediately thought about change fatigue, right? Because even people who thrive on change can be very fatigued by the amount of change, mm-hmm. and that is sometimes caused by um, leaders in a team who all run change programs all at the same time. And they are not aligned very well. And everyone is just throwing change after change in, into the organization to the point where people are, you know, simply sit back and, and say, look, I cannot handle one more change. I'm not going to, to do it. So you also have to be very mindful about the amount of change that you and the change programs that you run into an organization they have to be v- well aligned uh, and not all at the same time and because even people that thrive on change can become very fatigued with it and if that is the case that is the moment where leaders really start to or, or need to take notice and say something is not right here. And now what are we going to to do? So this constant evaluation 
between, I would say, the top and, and, and the bottom of an organization. And that alignment needs to be managed very carefully and, and well. Mm. So just taking this out to, you know, this five, 10 years out, thinking the fact that, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you put in place today, it won't be affected or, or for the next four or five years time. So what are, the, you know, based on what's happening with demographics, aging population, mm-hmm. what do organizations need to start doing today? What sort of actions need to start doing today that will help them for the next three to five years yeah. to still be competitive for gaining talent and able to sustain their business for in terms of that longevity? Sure. So it starts with the business strategy. You need to understand or you need to know what your business strategy is. Not in detail, but roughly. Because from that, you can derive your workforce strategy. Who are the people that I need to execute that strategy? And if you start thinking about that early enough, you still have time to, for instance, start a subsidiary in another region or another country where you can find these people or think about ways to introduce remote workers into your organization or look at your current workforce and say, these people will be out of a job because their skills simply do not match. What can I do to up and reskill them so that they will have new positions once we start to execute the strategy. So just a couple of ideas. So it's almost taking that uh, succession planning from, but from a more of an organizational point of view and cascading that out to wherever you want to go to and working back. What do I need to get there? uh, What skills, roles, and then, then some strategies of how you're going to train, retrain, or gain talent from various places. Um, just before we finish, uh, it'd be good just to uh, have a, I suppose a final thing really is to say, what do you think, if, if, if you were talking to a HR leader right now, what what one thing or two things should be keeping them awake at night about the future of work? Uh, hopefully not keeping them awake, really awake, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean, in terms of that question, what, what should be top of mind for them? In the first place, if they are in Europe, North America, China, Japan, they should really be thinking about the numbers because of the demographic uh, changes. If they are anywhere else, everyone really has to think about skills. Do my people have the right skill sets to thrive in a world that is becoming more and more digital? And we know that digital skills age much faster than analog skills. So what have I done or what am I doing to help people not only acquire those skills, but also maintain those skills and where where possible, learn the new skills that I need to keep my company going. Thank you for that, Anita. And thank you for your insights and also your, your challenge on the generational um, yes, constructs that we have. I like that. I, like, I always like to learn new things and be challenged on my thinking as well. Um, if people are interested in getting to know you and want to connect with you, what's the best way of doing that? Well, they can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I have a uh, website, anitalettink.com. 
And I also have a Substack newsletter that is free, and that is anitaletting.substack.com. Brilliant. Well, thank you for your time today, Anita. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.